So this week we get to talk about the bread of life, um, the first I am statement of Jesus, where he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Um, but the thing is, when Jesus was talking about this, he wasn't talking about physical hunger. He had just fed the 5,000, and people were asking him, where do you get this bread? And he was saying, a, actually, a more difficult and deeper message, which is that God, although we might you know, have all the physical things that we need, we have a deep spiritual need for him. Um, Jesus then said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up to, uh, at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And then even the disciples thought it was a difficult message, um, and they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Um, and Jesus said, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken, they are full of life, full of spirit and full of life. Um, so Jesus is calling us to the words, um, to be seeking him with a deep hunger and a deep recognition of our need for him. So this morning, let's um, recognize and just con consider, you know, although we may live in a prosperous nation and have our physical needs met. Sometimes we don't, but let us remember that there's a deeper physical need and that Jesus is the true bread um, that fulfills our deep spiritual need.
Our single wish, our soul deep. 
He cries out, child, come home. His word goes out to the ends of the earth. Will you open? Will you answer? Will you come? Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. Your Lord, that God's my
you're beautiful. You always have been. You always are. You always will be. favorite things about my father-in-law is that when we're done praying, he always says, well, let's just take a minute and listen to what God has to say. It's just, you, you can almost count on it. You won't pray with Sam Krautburst without having a few moments of silence at the end of that time. And so I just didn't really want to leave this space this morning. What a beautiful expression. What a beautiful devotion. What a beautiful people you are. We are in him. And so let's do that. Let's, let's close this time of speaking to the Lord, of giving our devotion, making our confession known to him. And just what would he want to say in word or in picture to each of us? So let's just take a minute and listen to him. Lord, we need you more than any of our most basic provisions, the things you make available to us. Lord, we need you more than the air that we breathe. We need you more than the water that we drink, the food that we eat. You say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Father, I would sense that a great majority of our anxiety rests in the lie that we do not have enough. And so, Lord, we speak to anxiety today. We speak to fear. We speak to lack. We speak to scarcity and say, in Christ, we have all things. Church today, to whatever extent there is worry, doubt, fear, anxiety, lack, lack of clarity, that you would allow the Lord to simply move into that space right now where there is lack. That you would breathe deep. That you would drink of the well. That you would eat of the bread that is eternal. We say anxiety. We say in fear. We say be gone in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are going to kick off this morning our series, uh, the seven I am statements of Jesus in earnest. Last week we did an intro to that series speaking a lot about uh, the author of this text, the, the, the disciple, the apostle John, who spent uh, three years with Jesus, learning to be a minister of the gospel. He went on to spend more than 30 years in Ephesus as a minister of the gospel, long after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, the outpouring of his spirit. That's where John settled in, was in Ephesus. The hope for us in this series over the summer, these I am statements of Jesus as found in the Gospel of John, will be that we get crystal clarity on what it means that we are His. What does it mean that we belong to Him? And then secondly, that we would find the courage to know what we are to do. 
That as we look at and understand who Jesus is, this is our main point of the whole series, who I am and what Jesus calls me to do is based on who Jesus is and what the Father calls him to do. The Gospel of John speaks to both our identity and our purpose. Both of them, our identity and our purpose. And John knew that his purpose was to make known the name of Jesus to everyone that he could in the world. Making Jesus' identity known was so, so important. Belief in Jesus was so, so important for John. And so important that he mentions the word cosmos, which is the word in the Greek for world. He mentions that word 78 times in the Gospel of John. We can probably think of one specifically from John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? That plus 77 other references to the cosmos. Not only did he talk about the world, he talked about the world belief, pastivo, 98 times. So there's, nine, there's 78 references to the world and 98 references to belief in the Gospel of John. Do you think he wanted the world to believe? As John pastored and planted churches out of Ephesus, he had a very diverse audience. He had a very diverse group of disciples. He had a group that were Messianic Jews, which means people that grew up in the Jewish tradition but had found Jesus. So they followed the Torah, they followed all the Jewish traditions, and they loved Jesus. And then there was this whole other groups, not the Messianic Jews, but also the Greeks, the Gentiles, the Romans, the Western thinkers, and he knew that what was important to the Jews was action. Show me that he's the Son of God. So John is working with the show me crowd, with the Hebrews. He's working with the tell me crowd, with the Greeks, the Greek Western philosophies. Tell me your ideas. And so in this gospel, there's not only seven I am statements, there's seven I do miracles because John was reaching the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus turned water into wine. He healed the nobleman's son. He healed the lame man. He fed 5,000. That's where we're going to land today. He walked on water. He healed the man born blind. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. These are the seven miracles we'll look at the seven i am statements here jesus says i am the bread of life i am the light of the world i am the door i am the gate i am the good shepherd i am the resurrection and the life i am the way the truth and the life and i am the true vine jesus completes five of the seven miracles so the first five of the seven miracles are completed in the text before jesus opens his mouth with a single I am statement. His actions promoted curiosity. Jesus was healing people. He was feeding people. He was defying other natural laws by walking on water and turning water into wine. Wouldn't that draw a crowd? So our actions increase or decrease our credibility when it comes to sharing our convictions with others. Your convictions are backed by your actions. To declare after five actions an I am statement. Jesus is the second Moses. He's the second deliverer. He's the one that leads people not just out of the desert, but out of the desert of sin. He sets us free. There was a first Moses 
who also spent time in the desert. But the first Moses wandered up on a bush one time, and it was on fire but not being consumed. That was a reason to be curious. Moses wandered up to the bush. In the bush, right? I am who I am. Yahweh, immediately translated, is I am who I am. So when Jesus says, I am, everybody with Jewish ears perked up and said, excuse me? Did you just compare yourself with Yahweh? We can't even say his full name. That was a declarative statement. Good thing Jesus was backing up his words with his actions, especially for the Hebrews. Because what matters to the Hebrews? What you do matters to the Hebrews. This was no small declaration. You see, Jesus' words would serve as a foundation for the liberation of everybody from sin. That bothered the Jewish leaders. Because the Jewish leaders at that time had settled into this idea that they were their own I am. In their own eyes, they were who they were, and they didn't mind everybody knowing it. And so with that context, let's turn to the word and to consider as we read these verses our relationship with hunger. We have a relationship with hunger. We have a relationship with hunger more than we have relationships with most things. Let that settle in for a minute. What is your relationship with hunger? Because hunger speaks to us when we don't pay attention to it. Doesn't it? We start to feel it. We start to respond to it in healthy and unhealthy ways. But there's two kinds of hunger. There's a, there's a, there's a physical hunger. And then there's a spiritual hunger. Jesus speaks to both. What does hunger ask you to do? What does hunger invite you to do? In some instances, what does hunger demand of you? This begins in John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, what is after this? After this, in John 5, is the lame man being healed by the pool. It's Jesus' claim to be the Son of God, which made a lot of people really twitchy. Jesus supports his claim. And then after this, Jesus crosses to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great, cloud of, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. We see this coming out in the scriptures. They were very in tune with what they saw Jesus doing. Verse 3. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? This is Jesus' question to Philip. Interesting that he would ask Philip. This is because Philip's hometown, his house, was closer to where they were going to feed the people than anyone else. So, like, if there's a party and we're closest to your house, what would you imagine? That you'd be like, oh, maybe I'm responsible for doing something about this. We're really close to my house, so maybe I should, right? So this is, the, this is what, what Jesus proposes to Peter. Sorry, to Philip. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Boy, if that doesn't relinquish, help us relinquish control that God already has in mind what he plans to do, I don't know what else would. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each people to have a bite. Philip is already ministering out of a mentality of what he doesn't have. 
not what he does have. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Look, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. So off to a good start, we have something, and then he gets caught in the dream and gives in to the criticism and the doubt. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, well, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they all sat down. About 5,000 men were there, so north of twenty-five to 30,000 people. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, look at all that they wanted, enough to eat, the God of abundance. These statements just roll off John's tongue and off the quill of his pen. When they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, more abundance, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by the men who had eaten. After the people saw the sign, saw the sign. After the people saw, again, the Jewish people were concerned with seeing things. Jesus performed. They began saying, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountains by himself. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. There they got into a boat and set off across to the lake, the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it within his disciples, but had gone away alone. Observant people. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. They wanted more of something. Was it more of Jesus or more of what Jesus had to provide? Hard to check somebody's motivation. I imagine it might have been both. But do we want the king or do we want what the king has for us by way of provision? They went to search for Jesus. When they found him on the other side... Of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said in verse 26, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I provided something for you, essentially is what Jesus is saying. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures. Hunger's enduring, especially a spiritual hunger, because we've got to run out of things inside of us physically before we can hunger for things spiritually and that's an enduring process has anyone had to endure through physical hunger before that's an enduring process to deny ourselves something that our flesh would desire is an enduring process but it's necessary to get to the thing that god wants to give to us 
by way of spiritual food, by way of eternal food. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. This might lighten our task load this week. To believe in the one whom he has sent. That's our work. As followers of Jesus, our work is to believe in the one whom he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then, we're so concerned about the signs, what sign then will you give that we might see and believe you? What will you do? Not say. They want to know what he would do. For they say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. It is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very true, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives the true bread The true bread, he's standing before them declaring, I am. The Father gives you the true bread. Because what did it say about the manna? Don't collect manna for tomorrow. Because what if you collect tomorrow's manna today? What's going to happen to it? Spoils. Don't go after that. That's exhausting. That's every day of your life. I'm standing right in front of you. I am. For the bread of God is the bread that comes from heaven and gives life to the cosmos the world. Verse 34, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. If that would be our call, if that would be our declaration to the Lord every day when we get up is give me that bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Skipping down to verse 48, he says again, I am the bread of life. He says it twice. Your ancestors, this is what Chris read for us this morning, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. Bummer. He doesn't say that. I did. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone, Jews and Gentiles, may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for, what, sorry, which uh, I will give for the life of the world. He's making these statements. He's already saying, I am this and I will give this for the world. What is your relationship with hunger, both spiritually and physically? What must have it been like for them to continue to pursue Jesus? What were they pursuing? Jesus seemed to know. You want your stomach filled again. I'm going to give you something different. I'm going to fill your soul. This is the the change of mind that's taking place. And so a few considerations for us. I got slides for these things. Four considerations. The first one is that bread is a big deal. Bread is a big deal to the people of Israel. There was manna in the desert. Exodus 16, 2 through 4. I marked these because I just want to read these little passages. This is a big deal. Exodus 16, verse 2 through 4. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, which is also a bummer because he just delivered them from Egypt. And they were grumbling again because they didn't have enough. 
The Israelites said to them, if we'd only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, what an ungrateful group, but they just sound just like me all the time. <laughs> if we'd only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven on you foreshadowing bread is a big deal there was manna in the desert elijah and the widow you guys remember this story yeah this is a great story right the whole long story elijah's supposed to you know tell ahab it ain't gonna rain for a while and then he goes and sits by the wadi cherith where there's plenty of water i learned yesterday that water sources sometimes dry up and that's no fun because there used to be water there and lord i brought my water filter and there's no water there right now that creates a little bit of an internal crisis. So he had the water, the birds were bringing him food, everything was perfect until the cherith dried up. And then the Lord said to him, verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to support you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I might have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Awkward. Like they're so poor and they're so starving for food, physical food, that they can't even refill, uh, fulfill Elijah's request. What the Lord had asked them to do. The Lord asks us to do hard things sometimes. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as I have said. That takes boldness. Like this woman is a widow and she just told you she's preparing her last meal to eat before she dies. And the Lord told Elijah to say, go home and do it anyways. That is boldness. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make some things for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord of God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. None of this is new. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, right? Bread is a big deal in this culture. Bethlehem, the house of bread. That's what that town's called. Micah 5.2, it's the Christmas passage. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Bethlehem, the house of bread. We see more bread. The Last Supper, when Jesus breaks the bread and says, every time you break this bread, think of me. Bread, 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 bread. This is not new. This is not lost on the people of Israel. I am the bread of life. So the second consideration what are we hungry for? This is where I want us to think about our relationship with hunger. What are we hungry for? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5, 6. So here's the question for us today. 
Are we pursuing outcomes or obedience? Two different O's. Outcomes or obedience. I have found in my life that pursuing outcomes is pursuing bread that will not last. Because whoever got to the end of an assignment didn't have another one to do immediately. And another one. And another one. Got it. More outcomes. More production. The Mariners just won 13 games in a row. And everyone is going to ask. Oh, you see, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. The Mariners just won 13 games in a row. And nobody wants to talk about them winning 13 games in a row. What do they want to talk about? Will they win today? There's always, always, always more outcomes to produce. As soon as we've produced an outcome, we have to produce it again. Are we pursuing outcomes or obedience? So outcomes and obedience, or we can do R's if you don't like O's, resource or righteousness. Are we pursuing resource or righteousness? Outcomes or obedience? Because I can settle into obedience and it will last. I just have to be obedient and God will take care of the outcomes. If I settle into relationship, resource will come. People end up experiencing homelessness not because they've run out of resource, but because they've run out of relationship. Relationships over resource. Obedience over outcomes. Eternal over temporary. What are we hungry for? Because my hunger for outcomes always leaves me hungry again. That's about my stomach. It isn't until I hunger for obedience and righteousness that I am filled. Because I just, I am that. I am obedient. I am never an outcome. I'm the producer of outcomes. Does that make sense? Third consideration. Let's consider what we want from Jesus. Remembering that he is the bread of life. He doesn't say, I have the bread of life. If he says, I have the bread of life, it would make sense that we would come to him and say, give me. If he said, I have the bread of life, it would infer that I should go and get it from him. The thing, not the relationship, the resource. Get the bread, not the man. Right? But he says, I am the bread. So he doesn't want me to come get the bread. He wants me to be in relationship with him. What do I want from Jesus? Do I want time with him or treasures from him? That's a challenge to me. What do we want from Jesus? And then finally, the last consideration. It's just this admonishment. Work with what is in your hand, not what isn't in your hand. That's all Jesus was asking Philip to do is work with what's in your hand. What do you got? What do these kids got? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was onto it. Look, a boy with fish and loaves. He was onto it. And I wonder if Jesus was like, there we go. And then he goes, but there's not enough. And Jesus goes, oh, he didn't get it. Work with what you have. What do you have? What's the thing right now? Here's the challenge. What's the thing that you lack that you aren't pursuing because you don't think you have enough of? We always are trained, our mind, the enemy, I think, puts in our head, you do not have enough. You are not enough. You do not have enough. You are not doing enough. Ambition, appetite, approval. These lies that came to Jesus in the desert are the same lies that we deal with today. What if you had enough? What if you had what was in your hand to do the thing you didn't think you knew how to do? What if that was the step that you were going to take? 
We have an incredible story. There's a young woman named April Hernandez who's actually going to come this summer. We're going to pray over her to send her. She grew up on Casino Road in this neighborhood, was a part of Casino Road Kids Ministries, was a part of Seattle Area Youth for Christ, is now a graduate of those things and high school. April is leaving here and going to the University of Birmingham, Alabama in September to go to school in biotech. The program that she graduates from will send her to one of five countries in Africa to work on vaccines for people who are dying from things that we can be vaccinated to not die from. April, from our hood, is going to bring the hope of Jesus to the world through her actions. When we think about working with what we have, God will provide. How is God providing for you? Spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally. What's the testimony of what has been? And what is the prayer about what needs to be? Those are our questions. We're going to go into small groups for a few minutes and talk about those two things. Share one place where the Lord has miraculously provided in your life. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, or relationally. And what is the same kind of need that you have going forward? Amen? Those questions will be up there. Jesus, thank you for this time. We pray that in the next 10 minutes, Lord, that you would move in us, do things in us and through us that we wouldn't even begin to ask or imagine. God, give us great faith. You are the bread of life. You can provide for every need. We pray that as we leave today, there would be a sense that we are filled, not with food, because there isn't any right now, except for Lorraine, who brought some, so thank you, Lorraine. But right now, there's nothing in our stomachs, but Lord, we're full of you, Lord. And we pray that that would be everything that we need today. In Jesus' name, amen.